if your life has ever seemed like a grand work of fiction, rife with irony, coincidence, drama, romance, perhaps it's because our world is something like a novel written by an alien author. And that premise brings us to the question, does simulation theory legitimize religion? Hey, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is going to be a revisitation of a deep dive article I did a couple of years back. We're going to touch on some provocative, juicy stuff in this one. We're going to talk about faith, religion, metaphysics, atheism, agnosticism, even aliens. It's gonna, This is going to give you some meaty intellectual material to grapple with. I'm hoping that the, what I have to share with you here, my, my thoughts that I have to imbue to you here, are the kind of thoughts that are going to go through the TCIP protocols of the internet to be uh, re-encoded back into MP3 files there for your listening pleasure, and they're going to be taken back up into your headphones and into your inner ear where they will find themselves in your prefrontal cortex, and then you'll move on with your day, you'll worry about other things. But the ideas I have to share with you here, I'm hoping that they absorb deep down into those depths of your unconscious mind, and then that they bubble back up, that your unconscious mind wrestles with what I have to say here. And then who knows, maybe it'll be when you're in the shower, or you'll be waiting at a red light, or you'll be in the gym. And what I have to say here will, you'll come up with what's true for you or what's a good approximation on truth for you based upon some what i think is kind of some some unique groundbreaking intellectual kind of territory that i'm going to dive into and the article version of this is linked below wherever you are watching or listening to me over there on limitlessmindset.com and as per the usual that article is going to have all the links to all the good stuff that I mention here. So let's dive in. A little bit about me and my journey. I was raised Christian and was a very energetic, zealous evangelical. But as a young adult, uh, around the ages of... I don't know, you could say maybe from like 18 to 24 years old, that's considered a young adult, I drifted away from religion and ultimately became an atheist for intellectual reasons. At least that's what I told myself at the time. If I'm being honest with myself, now looking back with the hindsight of a couple decades uh, experience, I didn't leave 
my religion for purely intellectual reasons. I left it because I wanted to engage in the tantalizing hedonism that was dangled before me at a young age. And in the article, I have a picture of me partying in Panama City, Panama in 2013. And yes, I did uh, indulge in quite a bit of hedonism. Fortunately, there aren't uh, too many resulting embarrassing photos that came out of that. Let's talk about doubt. Let's go back a little bit further in time. In my teenage years as a devoted Christian, and I was a little bit different than a lot of American teenagers. Uh, I wasn't smoking a lot of weed. I was, uh, I kind of had my nose in my Bible. I, I became uh, very zealous, like I said, about my faith. And I began reading these very entertaining chick tracks. And I'm gonna include some photos of these. You're, you're gonna wanna look these up. And these are presetalizing mini comic booklets that convey a little story in cartoons. And then they end with a call to action to accept Christ. And I had found these I forget where I found them in the first place, but I was, uh, I went on the internet and I looked up a bunch of these because even back then, uh, you could look things up like this on the internet. And I was totally, uh, yeah, I was totally enticed by these little comic, uh, books, by all the little stories that they told in them. And I actually ordered, I think, 750 of these little chick tracks. And then I physically spammed my high school and neighborhood with these because they were these little booklets. And uh, yeah, I really believed in my religion. So I uh, walked around my school and I would slip them into people's lockers. So, you know, other kids would get out of class and go open up their locker and then they'd find one of these little religious uh, comic books. Uh, inside of their locker and they, they'd never know it was me and I, would, I even left them on people's cars out in the neighborhood. And my first red pill on religion, it uh, came out of these chick tracks actually. And I discovered reading through the, reading through this, this they had like of these little comic book tracks, they had tons of these things. They had like, I don't know if it was hundreds of different uh, stories and different little comic books. They had a lot of these little comic books. And some of them were, yeah, some of them were pretty red-pilled. And there was one on the conflicting different versions of the Bible. And for those who might not know, there is not just one version of the English Bible. There's a multiplicity of translations of the Bible, you know, because of course the Bible was written in three different languages. It was uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And then the translation of those languages into the English language has been done uh, multiple times. And the conspiracy theory, and believe me, when I say conspiracy theory, I don't use that phrase 
facetiously. So the, this conspiracy theory that introduced a quantum of doubt into my faith was that the mainstream versions of the Bible were satanic and subversive. Uh, the theory was that the evil Vatican establishment had corrupted the Bible and that the popular and easy-to-read new international version of the Bible, the NIV, that that was nefarious. And that if you wanted to read the real Bible, you had to read the King James version of it from the 16th century. So that's what I did. I, I, I got an old version of the Bible full of all the funny old phrasing of how they would say things back in the, back in the 1600s. But there was a crack in the solid foundation of my faith. Christians are supposed to believe that the Word of God is absolutely perfect. And according to the evidence that I was looking at, originally introduced to me by these chick tracks, some versions of the body of the Bible were quite imperfect, which prompts you to ask the question, why would God allow his holy word to be corrupted? If there's one thing that he could use his limitless power to preserve, wouldn't it be his book? And from there on, in my, in my early 20s, I still identified somewhat with the religion, but I edged further and further away from practicing it. And as I explain in my book review of Sam Harris's Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion, I once found myself this was this was years later this is when i was a this is when i was a religious a atheist i i once found myself in a lucid dream because i'm i'm into lucid i i or in the past i was really into lucid dreaming now i, I think it's kind of more important to just get good quality sleep but in the past i was really into doing all the kinds of things that you need to do if you want to have cool lucid dreams frequently so i once found myself in a lucid dream and I asked one of the characters in the lucid dream, which you would assume a character in a lucid dream is uh, just my own subconscious, unconscious mind, right? And so I asked the character if I had legitimate intellectual reasons for leaving my religion or if I was just justifying my secular hedonistic lifestyle with pseudo-intellectualism. And the character in my dream responded that I was indeed just justifying. I was bullshitting myself. And eventually, I read Stefan Molyneux's book, Against the Gods. Actually, there's a question mark at the end of that. So it's, so it's like, Against the Gods? This is the, the title, the correct title of the book. And that book finally cemented my reasons for leaving my religion. And in it, 
Stefan, the author, asked the question, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? I bet you've heard this one before. Quote from the book, most religions explicitly state that helping others in need is morally good. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament. However, since gods do not exist and so cannot intervene, religions have a rather challenging task of explaining why their quote-unquote moral god does not help those in need. If it is immoral for travelers on the road to ignore a bleeding man when it will cost them both time and resources to help him, is it not infinitely more immoral for God to refrain from helping when it will cost God neither time nor resources, since he has infinite amounts of both? That's the argument, kind of a classic uh, sort of argument for uh, atheism. And Stefan also argues that agnosticism is a weak intellectual cop-out. There's probably a lot of people out there, or it seems like there's, there's few people that will really own up to the atheism. Most people will, if they're not religious and they're not spiritual, and you sit them on down and talk to them about this topic, they're going to say, uh, I don't really know. I'm an, I'm an agnostic. Agnosticism is probably more popular than atheism. And it really is kind of just a politically correct position that people take who haven't really thought the whole matter through. And they're kind of... They're kind of afraid of offending the faithful. So here's the case that Stefan makes against agnosticism. Quote, agnosticism is a relatively modern phenomena. Avoiding the question of God's existence is nothing new, of course. But agnosticism attempts to hook into a lot of science, particularly quantum physics, string theory, and other multidimensional theoretical models. Historically, the word God has never meant things that may exist in other dimensions of the multiverse as described by modern physics. That's right, that's never what the word God meant. No, let's not empty the word God of its true and original meaning, which was a cosmic and spiritual father who created the universe, breathed life into mankind, burns the wicked, and saves the innocent, and so on. This meaty and monstrous Superman, this thunderbolt hurling patriarch of our dim and brutal histories, this frustrated and enraged slaughterer of rebels and skeptics, this fearful and omnipotent beast should not be reduced to some pale and conceptual ghost hiding out in the dim theoretical alleys between the atoms. Boy, that's Stefan. He's a, he's a great, 
writer, isn't he? He is a real clever wordsmith. Thus, having gotten through that book, I very privately became an atheist. Let's talk now about undeniable phenomena. So there's a big difference between theory and phenomena. Phenomena is an effect which is observed. For example, your muscles getting bigger as a result of exercising. Hey, I've been going back to the gym lately and I'm up in my weights and I can I can tell I'm putting on putting on a little bit more muscle. Just wait, just wait. There's going to be a uh, there's going to be a shirtless photo of me that's going to be making a making an appearance on the internet sometime sometime soon. You you all out there maybe impressed with my with my with my progress. Just stay tuned. Okay, so phenomena: uh, muscles getting bigger as a result of exercising, getting drunk after drinking alcohol, the tides going in and out, etc. That's phenomena. Theory is different. Theory is an unseen cause and effect relationship that explains why something is happening. So gravitation, evolution of the species, the mitochondrial theory of aging, etc. And theories exist on a spectrum of virtual certainties, which are things like uh, gravitation, evolution, to uh, disproven. Let's see, what's a disproven theory? I used to say flat Earth was totally disproven. I'm not sure about that one. I'm going to say a uh, disproven theory was the Trump-Russian collusion theory back from uh, 2016. No, 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 it was like 2017. This was like a really, really hot theory with Trump-Russia Trump collusion in the 2016 uh, election. And uh, a lot of people believe this theory. A lot of people were, <laughs> were extremely angry and hysterical about it, but it turned out to be totally incorrect. So, okay, so we have a spectrum, again, uh, virtual certainties, which is gravitation, evolution, we have disproven theories, and then we have non-falsifiable theories. And so a non-falsifiable theory would be something like demons cause mental diseases. And then there's this alluring domain of metaphysical phenomena which is things like UFOs, near-death experiences, astral projection and remote viewing, the Mandela effect, which I did a documentary about, uh, ghosts and paranormal phenomena, even uh, cryptozoology. So clearly a lot of incidences of what seems to be metaphysical phenomena have rather mundane explanations. So uh, weather balloons, faulty human memory, which in the case of uh, the Mandela effect, that I'll give you the TLDR on my research and my documentary about the Mandela effect. As I said, the Mandela effect, uh, it seems like something really crazy, really wild. It seems like there's something deeply wrong with Reality, that's the way it seems, but 
humans having very faulty memories is a much more likely explanation for it. And you look at a typical what people describe of or think of as metaphysical phenomena or fringe unexplained phenomena. And a lot of this stuff can get explained by things like uh, sleep paralysis, swamp gas, uh, wishful thinking, government programs, uh, the tendency of human beings to hallucinate, etc. Like I was hearing a, uh, there was a psychologist and they were describing this phenomena. Maybe this has even happened to you where you're, you're in kind of a creepy place, right? Like maybe you're in like an old house or something like that, or you're uh, down in a basement or you're an addict, you're someplace alone at night. That's kind of, that's kind of creaky, right? And you're, you're, you're getting in kind of a creeped out mood. And then you see just in the periphery of your vision, you see a, a, a silhouette, like you see what looks like a person form out of the shadows. And there's these, these things are even called shadow people. Like go on YouTube and look in, look up shadow people. And you can find all of these creepy videos of uh, people talking about their experiences seeing shadow people. And it's always kind of when they're like psychologically primed for this, right? Like you go back to, a, I don't know, childhood friend's home where something bad happened. And then you see a silhouette out of your peripheral vision. And there's actually a rational scientific, scientific explanation for this phenomena that so many people have experienced, which is that our, our minds uh, one thing that our minds are kind of over aggressive in doing is threat detection. Our, our minds, the unconscious part of our mind is like, is, is, is scanning the environment for threats all the time, like actual physical danger all the time. And so sometimes if you're in an environment that's like a, could be a threatening environment. Like let's say you're in like a creepy old house. This is like a threatening environment already. Your unconscious mind knows this is a threatening environment. And so if there's, let's say there's a innocuous shadow that's 90 degrees to the right of you. It's, it's just a shadow or it's, a, it's an old wardrobe or something like that. Your unconscious mind does not want to take the chance that that might be something totally harmless. Your unconscious mind wants to make you jump and double check to make sure that isn't like, uh, that isn't a predator that's going to attack you. So you're, so if you're priming yourself by going to some creepy place, um, and you're, 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 you're getting a little bit afraid. Your imagination is kind of running. As, especially if you're in a new uncertain place, your unconscious mind may play a trick on you where your mind may actually take a, 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 a garden variety shadow in your peripheral vision and turn it into a silhouette of a human being so that you jump and look at that thing and make sure that it's not actually a threat. And this is a, a materialistic, scientific, rational explanation of this metaphysical phenomena that 
so many people have experienced it. I, I'm pretty sure I've experienced that phenomena once or twice in my life that I saw some creepy shadow character. I, and, it, and it's almost always in the periphery of the vision. That's, that's where our, our threat detection system places these things is in the periphery of our vision. It's pretty unlikely that it ends up directly in front of us where our attention is really focused, where we've got our prefrontal human part of our, our mind focus. It's always there in kind of the, the periphery, right? So when it comes to, yeah, metaphysical phenomena, unexplained phenomena, often there's these mundane explanations that work, but there are some incidences of metaphysical phenomena that just defy materialist scientific explanation. And I'm actually going to drop below this video, below this podcast, I'm going to put a link to my book review of a book, it was by Alex Tazaris, the skeptoid guy, on where he just destroys uh, scientific materialism as a dogma. He goes through and documents a bunch of different cases of uh, scientific materialism being disproven scientifically with replicable uh, experiments. It was a fascinating book. So you're going to want to check that out kind of as a follow-up, as a follow-up to this podcast. So, okay, so there are definitely incidences of metaphysical phenomena, unexplained phenomena, that totally defy a materialist scientific explanation. And remember that the way that logic works is that you only need one black swan to utterly disprove the notion that all swans are white. So again, when we're talking about metaphysics, let's not let logic go out the window. When we're talking about spiritual things, even religion, let's not let logic go out the window. Let's hold on to logic. And remember, one black swan utterly disproves the statement that all swans are white. You don't need a statistically significant number of black swans for this. You only need one black swan. And then we can uh, do away with the uh, dogmatic belief that all swans are white. And in fact, in the article, I have a picture of me a couple of years back when I visited this uh, cool castle here in Europe. And they had a big lake with swans in it. And they had black swans there. I got a picture of myself with black swans. I've, I've seen them for myself. You can take it from me. So let's apply logic. If we can find just one verifiable incidence of metaphysical phenomena that resolutely defies a strictly scientific explanation of the world, then we can conclude that the materialist worldview is false. And let me read that again, because it's an important point. If we can find just one verifiable incidence of metaphysical phenomena that resolutely defies a strictly scientific explanation of the world, then we can conclude that the materialist 
worldview is false. And the, the materialist worldview is kind of an absolutist worldview. Uh, the materialists, they don't leave, they don't leave a whole lot of like room of, of like, well, maybe heaven does exist. No, they, they say absolutely all explain, everything that goes on in the universe can be explained by molecules and atoms and quarks and subatomic particles bouncing against each other. They, the, the scientific materialists don't leave any kind of, any kind of space in their worldview for there being a bit of magic and mystery left in the universe. Or we can say at least until such time as a scientist introduces a cogent theory or evidence of what in the natural world composed solely of atoms bouncing into each other is the cause of metaphysical phenomena. And that has certainly not happened at all. You can look at uh, Oh, things like, uh, things like the, I think it was the, the Dean Radin experiments, and they, they, uh, they replicated them over and over again a bunch of different times, and there was never anywhere close to a rationalistic, materialistic, uh, hypothesis of what was behind what really appeared to be a human predictive capacity that was revealed and replicated in those experiments. So maybe in the future, maybe in the, maybe in the far future, some scientist is going to come up with a materialist explanation for humans having prophetic ability. And maybe then I'd be an atheist. Maybe then it might be rational to uh, be a scientific materialist, but not now. Okay, moving on. And there's certainly more than one such incidence of metaphysical phenomena. So I used to enjoy this TV show. It was called Destination Truth with Josh Gates. Uh, I'll link to it if you uh, want to watch some. It's kind of an old show, but it was actually really entertaining. And it was one of these reality TV shows where every week they would travel to a new destination somewhere in the world and hunt ghosts or mythological monsters and consistently they wouldn't find any real monsters except for the time that they discovered a yeti hair in Bhutan that genetic analysis indicated was a relic hominid. That's right. So you could say uh, the abominable snowman. There's actually there's actually genetic evidence for the existence of some type of hominid hanging out in the high mountains of Bhutan that nobody's ever really taken a picture of and that we don't have any hanging out in zoos. <laughs> that was the one time that they actually found direct evidence of, uh, of some kind of creepy creature that was heretofore unknown to uh, the practice of zoology. But but here's the interesting thing on the, on the TV show. They would encounter plenty of ghosts, demons, and metaphysical forces. And sure, of course, these kinds of things can be faked in the post-production of a reality TV show, but 
Ghost encounters are so common, and you can ask your friends and family, that it's strong evidence that there is more to the world and life than meets the spectacled scientific eye. Um, you yourself, maybe you've had an experience of something metaphysical. Um, if you haven't personally, then certainly you have some friends or family member. You know somebody who has had a convincing experience of something metaphysical. And are all of these people uh, just fooling themselves? Are all of these people, you know, having micro hallucinations? Or is the, is the universe just a bit more mysterious and magical than we've been led to believe by the materialist mainstream? And there are three podcasts I like that do skeptical, critical thinking exploration and analysis of metaphysical phenomena. There is Skeptico, Science at the Tipping Point. That's done by the author of the book that I just mentioned. There is Skeptoid, which does critical analysis of pop phenomena. And then there's another one called The Other Side of Midnight. And I'd encourage you to download some episodes of these three podcasts and judge for yourself if the scientific and academic establishment is ignoring huge domains of human experience that are crying out, perhaps, from beyond the grave to be understood. Do, do, do check those out. Do check those out. There's a, there's the, there's a large domain of human experience that has not been properly studied by science that suggests that we are something special, that suggests that we are something a bit more than um, bald apes. And I'd also direct you to consider mass UFO sightings, like the relatively recent Phoenix Lights incidents. If you haven't heard of this one, go look it up. The Phoenix Lights incidents. Go and watch the videos of that and try to come up with a rational scientific explanation that makes any sense for that one. There's this undeniable phenomena of UFOs and even the uh, the U.S. government, even the, the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, even the New York Times admits that uh, UFOs are observed. So it's, it's an undeniable phenomena. UFOs are not a conspiracy theory. They are a observable phenomena, an unexplained one. However, the theory of aliens as extraterrestrials is totally illogical and nonsensical. It, it really doesn't make sense. Let me explain why. So interstellar space travel would require an extreme level of technological prowess. They would be vastly more advanced than us. 
aliens capable of interstellar space travel would be capable of totally masking themselves from our perception. We would not be seeing them unless they wanted us to. And real aliens from other solar systems would either be extremely moral or they would be totally evil. Let me explain. If they saw us as potential competitors on the cosmic stage, they would wipe us out the way that a, a human being stomps on an anthill. If, uh, let's say that, uh, I don't know, let's say you have, you have a garden and, um, you have ants that are going to be eating I don't know, eating whatever you're trying to garden, you're definitely going to stomp on that anthill and destroy that, <laughs> you know, destroy that life. You don't like competition. None of us do. Or like in the classic science fiction series, Earth Final Conflict, they would gift us humans with tremendous technologies. They would give us cures to disease. They would teach us to finally end war. They would teach us to have a more fair global economy. Real aliens are less likely to be evil. And here's why. There's a clear correlation between intelligence, technological advancement, and morality. More advanced civilizations tend to be compassionate to less advanced civilizations in modern times. I'm not talking about some battle between uh, British infantry and African tribesmen that happened 300 years ago. Real aliens would either have some sort of non-intervention policy, like in Star Trek, the, they have the prime directive, or real aliens would kind of act like do-gooder Western people who make a uh, pilgrimage of selfish altruism to Africa to donate their time to build schools there and then, you know, make while making sure to take a lot of uh, selfies with the orphans, right? What they wouldn't do, what real aliens wouldn't do is act like flamboyant pranksters, putting on dazzling displays in the sky and then disappearing just to confuse us, or messing with our cattle, or cutting weird patterns in crop fields. And they could learn anything about us that they wanted to by secretly sampling our DNA. They certainly wouldn't need to abduct us into their spaceships to conduct weirdly sexual experiments Honest, whatever they wanted to learn about us, they, they could use the internet very easily and they could learn everything they wanted. They would not need to do all these interventionistic uh, pranks on us. And even if UFOs are just mass hallucinations, that is indicative of a dimension of human consciousness, an experience that science doesn't have a cogent theory for. This sort of phenomena made me reconsider my atheistic world view.
It should also make us reconsider simulation theory. About simulation theory. So there was a computer game I used to play. It was called Black and White, where you got to be a god of an island populated with little digital people. In the video game, you would occasionally put on a dazzling display in the sky to increase belief, which does make you wonder, could this be kind of what's going on with metaphysical phenomena, which seems to be so uh, prolific? Think about, again, something like the Phoenix Lights incidents. And I'm going to direct your attention now to a very well-produced and entertaining documentary worth watching by Kent Forbes of the University of Maine, simply entitled The Simulation Hypothesis. And I have it uploaded to Odyssey, where it's not going to get censored, and I have it embedded in the article for this podcast. Do go and watch that documentary. I watched it with my uh, wife back in the day when she was uh, merely my girlfriend. And in the documentary, he shows how the materialist worldview has been disproven by the double-slit experiment. And importantly, the reproduction, the replication of that uh, experiment. And he suggests that the findings of quantum physics and the observable effects of relativity make sense within a digital universe and how the concept of the five-dimensional holographic universe is consistent with simulation theory. Religion and metaphysical phenomena start to make a lot of sense if we're willing to look at the universe as a vastly scaled up version of the video game that I used to play. The first time I played the video game, I would just be as evil a god as possible for fun, demanding human sacrifices, hurling thunderbolts, releasing plagues, and monsters, I would really terrorize the digital population of natives in the gameplay environment. But as I played the game more, and I could see this also with my brothers, they were playing the same game with you, with me. As you played more, you'd be more interested in playing as a more benevolent deity. And you would play to win the praise of your subjects by being helpful and compassionate. It took more skill to be loved instead of feared. I can imagine if I was stuck playing that game for a long time, perhaps all of eternity, I would eventually decide to challenge myself by playing in a non-interventionistic style. That's an important point. I would rarely put on displays in the sky or perform miracles. I would become a hard-to-find god. I would simply 
introduce narratives and messages to subtly influence the people I watched over to level up and improve themselves. And then I would give them the individual agency option to practice free will, which few of them would, disappointingly. Many atheists have pointed out the contradiction of a good God who knows everything that's going to happen in the future, pleading with us to make the right decisions. When I topple over a line of dominoes, I don't plead with the final domino to remain standing tall despite the immutable forces of the universe acting against it. This contradiction also starts to make sense, though, in the simulation theory, or maybe we could even call it the uh, video game theory. And here's why. The simulation would have thousands or millions or billions or trillions of if-then rule sets about everything from human psychology to how phenotypic revolutions occurred. The processing power to create a whole universe would be sufficient to predict the future outcomes of such rules. So God, or the programmer, or you might call him the player, would be omniscient and they could see the future if they wanted. But it would be a lot more fun to just see how the little people in the game reacted to different narratives, historical wildcards, and even unexplained phenomena. Given this view of the universe, it's logical for me to say, I believe in God or a creator, but I'll have a problem accepting the Christian idea of a God that represents moral perfection. Considering simulation theory, God would seem to be a self-amusing prankster with a voyeuristic tendency of oogling our suffering. In the agnostics universe, there might be a god, but he definitely wouldn't be any more interested in us than we are in dust mites. Whereas in the simulation theory universe, the Christian idea of a god who is concerned with our lives and well-beings, that starts to make a lot more sense. As an avid player of video games where you had a God's view perspective on the world, I was always concerned with the well-being of my little digital subjects below. And I became even more concerned the more advanced player I became. Next, let's talk about a pragmatic faith. So there's this expression you can never go home again. This means that you can never truly return to where you're from or where you grew up because that place has likely changed quite a bit, and you certainly have. That's why returning to the neighborhood where you grew up is almost always a 
bitter pill of nostalgic disappointment. Similarly, I don't think I can ever return to being the uh, true believer, um, zealous evangelical that I once was. But Christianity, at least the way that my family practiced it, is a very pragmatic faith. So it provides a loving social circle. It provides a moral system that guides us into being functional, productive members of society. It gives a wonderful hope for something better after this life ends. And the evangelical faith I used to practice was an especially potent gateway to transcendent flow states, which I've written a whole lot about. Religious people are statistically healthier and happier than atheists or secular agnostics. And Stefan Molyneux, again, the author of the book I quoted from at the outset, and he is often called the most logical man on the internet. He writes about the pragmatism of prayer, saying, my argument is that what works is the act of asking a superior intelligence for guidance and wisdom. The simple fact is that people who pray often do experience a response. And the obvious and empirical answer is that they are asking for wisdom from their own subconscious. The subconscious mind whose processing power has been estimated as 7,000 times that of the conscious mind. The wisdom and astounding parallel processing power of the subconscious is largely only available to those who approach it on bended knee. Hmm, that's something to think about, isn't it? So I regard myself as a pragmatist, not a purist. And ultimately, I'm self-interested in what's going to make me happiest and healthiest in the long term. I'll lower my logical standards of skepticism for a moral or belief system that's highly beneficial to me. And I'll scrutinize with increasing skepticism any system theory or dogma that hurts me. If a socialist came to me trying to convince me of socialism, I'm going to have an extremely high level of skepticism because their system entails redistributing my property, uh, highly taxing my labor, and a big government ruling over as every aspect of my life. Their system does little for me. But if someone comes to me with a system that's proven to make me healthier, happier, safer, and freer, my threshold for logical consistency lowers, if that makes sense. As a teenager, I had, like many young men, I had a very hard time attracting the attention of young ladies I might like to date. Naturally, I just had low sexual market value. A PDF 
seduction guide I downloaded in the dead of night and then deleted the cookies for as a young man informed me that I needed to fake it till I made it. I needed to take up a logically inconsistent position of acting as a high value man, while in reality, I was barely a man. I remember as a 16 year old virgin repeating the mantra that women love having sex with me. Women love having sex with me. Women love having sex with me. I really wanna believe it. Women love having sex with me. And I remember feeling really foolish telling myself something untrue, but it worked. Women started giving me more attention when I acted cocky and aloof, even though inside I thought I was a total loser. Almost two decades later, I can see how this false belief has served me. It served me well. If as a young man, I had subjected my budding self-confidence and self-esteem to the same level of logical scrutiny that I did my religious faith, I would still probably be a virgin instead of a man who has enjoyed a rather adventuresome sex life. Ergo, I have since shrugged off the nihilistic burden of atheism. And I'm now Christian. I'm now religious. And at some point, I'm going to do another article explaining the reasoning behind my transition on this, because I have not fully articulated it mm, quite right at this point. I'm thinking I'm going to do an article or a podcast that's going to be entitled something like PubMed made me a Christian again. That's kind of an enticing, an, an, an enticing idea, right? And for those of you who might not know, PubMed is the website that is a giant database of scientific studies. And actually, actually, all the time that I spend looking at scientific studies, this is one of the main things that helps start to push me out of the scientific materialism camp and towards becoming a Christian again. So if that's a topic you'd like to hear a bit more about from me, do let me know. Leave a comment below this podcast, send me a message or an email or whatever, and let me know that you might like to see that piece of content. The, the more encouragement I get on that front, the uh, higher up on my list of content to do's it will become. So do also leave comments below this video with your thoughts on uh, faith, religion, scientific materialism, simulation theory, even UFOs and flat earth if you want, even Yeti if you want. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, looking forward to a continued conversation with you.